I think every company is either trying to to grow their business, to run it more efficiently, or to transform it in in some way, shape, or form. Data, customer data, more specifically, is really high leverage, right? Because it it allows you to create predictability in the results that you are attempting to to seek. You're listening to CX Confessions, brought to you by Koros. I'm Spike Jones, General Manager of Koros Strategic Services. And I'm Stacey Satterwhite, Chief Customer Officer at Koros. In each episode, we'll share the customer experience stories and insights you need straight from the sharpest minds in CX, so you can better connect with your customers. And make them customers for life. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of CX Confessions. I'm Stacy Satterwhite, joined by my incredible co-host, Spike Jones. Oh, that's that's so nice. So nice. As always, Spike. Good to good good to see and hear you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm good. There's a lot of great things going on. Complete, total, out of the blue. It has nothing to do with this an- anecdote, but so excited because Top Gun Maverick just came out on digital. I saw it <laughs> twice in the theater. I mean, look, like that was our second VHS tape, I think. Our first was the final countdown. So if you're playing along at home, my dad loved the Navy. Um, actually, he was in the Army, but loved the Navy. My third VHS tape was Ferris Bueller's Day Ooh, Off. So, uh, but Top Gun, near and dear to my heart. But man, Maverick, wow. Just super cool. So it came out like I think on Tuesday. I watched it Tuesday night. I watched it Wednesday night. So I'm a fan. I'm a fan. So all that to say, I'm good. But you, Stacy, let's turn to work. What's going on in the industry? You're actually up in Chicago for a conference. What's going on? I am indeed. Although I still haven't seen Top Gun Maverick, so I'm glad oh, that it came so out on good. digital. I did rewatch the original, but yes. I gotta go. Yeah. Okay. All oh, right. I yeah. can't wait to talk about it with you. Keep cool. going. Yeah, we'll do. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm actually uh, in a hotel room in Chicago. I am at uh, a couple different AWS events. Um, specifically, there was an AWS Women's Summit yesterday, and uh, I got indoctrinated in all things AWS. As our listeners may know, we have a um, a partnership with Amazon Connect to help us create that single pane of glass for an agent to get all of their customer uh, data into one particular place, including voice, which is where Amazon Connect comes in. So I had a, had a really great day yesterday with uh, all the folks at AWS. Thank you so much for hosting me here in Chicago. Very much a learning opportunity. And they did an event last night at uh, what's called the Wrigley Rooftops. Have you have, have you been lately to a Cubs game here in Chicago? No, I, I want to go, but that, tell, tell me more about that. That sounds awesome. It's super interesting. I lived here in Chicago many, many years ago. It's super interesting. They've taken the rooftops of many buildings around mm-hmm. uh, the Wrigley Stadium and just put like actual stadium seats in it. So you're walking up the stairs of an old building past people's yeah. apartments into uh, stadium seating in looking in a very unique experience. So anyway, if you, if you haven't been do, do the Wrigley, do the Wrigley uh, rooftops experience. Absolutely. Now it's on my list. I appreciate you sharing. Yeah. Well, moving on to our episode today, we get to talk to Michael Katz. Michael is the co-founder and CEO of a company called M particle, a customer data platform that helps brands unify data across all consumer touch points to optimize marketing outcomes and customer experience. And you know how passionate I am about focusing on value and outcomes for a business Mm because that's what we get paid to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And data, there's so much of it out there. But so, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to him. 
Previously, Michael was the founder and CEO of a company called InterClick, which he took public in 2009 when he was in his 20s. Okay, now I'm feeling a little bit like a slouch. Truth be told. <laughs> Later in 2011, Michael and the team sold the company to Yahoo for 270 million. Yes, it was probably a good day for Michael Not bad. and his team. Not bad at all. And you know, entrepreneur, and a long time ago, I had a boss who was an entrepreneur who always said, entrepreneurs raise entrepreneurs. And we actually learned about a little bit about that with Michael today. So, so uh, excited to talk to him, especially about his perspective when it comes to data and data chaos. Yeah, me too. Finally, uh, about Michael, he previously sat on the board of directors for Brightline and Adaptly, which was acquired by Accenture. So total of opposite end of the spectrum started yeah. Accenture. I too spent some time at Accenture, right. ironically here That's in right. downtown Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, Michael is also a mentor uh, at an organization called Techstar. So I'm super excited to hear from Michael about his vast experience and experience with data today. Oh, yeah, this is going to be a good one. So you're going to want to stick around to hear more of what Michael has to say about data complexity, tips on aspiring founders, and much, much more. All right. And with that, please welcome Michael Katz to the show. Welcome, Michael. Hey, what's up? Great to have you here. You're coming to us from London, but your home base is in New York. So thanks for spending some time with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, you know what? We're just going to jump right into it. You are the CEO of Imparticle. You've been a founder. You've been in leadership roles at some amazing companies. Can you share a little bit more about your background and how you ended up co-founding Imparticle, please? Yeah, I can. So it's been about a 20-year entrepreneurial career so far. So graduated college in 2000 from Syracuse with degrees in economics and finance um, jumped right into uh, working for uh, a, a company called Zephyr, which was one of the early internet consultancies back in the day. And it was it was an incredible um, but short-lived experience. They were like directly in the center of like the um, dot-com boom and bust. And, nice. and so, yeah. Good times. I saw just like an amazing culture being created and then also like, how believing your own hype can lead to your downfall because they burned through like a hundred million dollars in like 18 months, which was like forever scarring. Yeah. That's almost (laughs) impressive in its own way. It, it was like at that point, like it wasn't uncommon, but, um, there was like, sometimes you have to learn how to do things and sometimes you have to learn equally like how not to do things. So, um, learned a little bit of both there. Then I went to work for Accenture for for a few years, and and then opposite end of the spectrum. It was like I think I was like a little bit PTSD'd from the whole experience, and I was like, I'm not going to chase the startup dream for a bit. Maybe I got to see what great looks like at a big company, so I'm going to go mm-hmm. do that. My my dad's an entrepreneur, and so I think I I always knew I was going to do something. And I just didn't know what. Sounds like it's in your blood. It, it, it very much is. I just didn't know like what or where or when or how. Um, but a couple of opportunities presented themselves, and those opportunities ended up informing the early opportunity that we pursued at um, my first company, InterClick. InterClick was in the ad tech space and. This is mid 2000s. The, um, the, the market, the landscape is totally different these days. And we placed a bet in 2009 that, uh, the cost of storage was continuing to trend to, 
towards basically zero and that at the time you had a bunch of competitors that uh, had like these like proprietary data networks and we felt like all of it was interesting, but none of it was interesting at the same time. And we felt like if we could break down the walls, unify a lot of this data that people had struggled to access, help them make sense of it, we could build a better brain, a, you know, a better mousetrap, call it what you want. And, um, and we did. And some of the core principles that went into the system design we carried forward into MParticle, but we launched that that product in 2009 and we saw just explosive growth thereafter because we were able to help our customers make better sense of of the world around them and we grew revenue by 600% subsequently without adding many salespeople. we went we went public via like via a SPAC of all things and uh, ah and then yahoo yeah nice. yahoo bought us so it was like a, it was a wild ride and i wouldn't recommend going that route to anybody <laughs> but i'll i'll stop there for a second before we get into m <laughs> so tell us a little bit about how that actually translated to m particle and then maybe even more specifically about since you've seen a startup you've seen scale you've seen everything in between it sounds like you experience a lot of options and it sounds like you've got some passion obviously around data Tell me a little bit about MParticle and how you see data helping organizations prioritize sustainable growth. Yeah, so I think I think what you mean is that I'm old and I've made a ton of mistakes. <laughs> no, never, never. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not quite sure, but that's how I interpret it. Hey, uh, I, I, mm. we could play the age game. I probably outrank you in both old and mistakes. I too was a dot com millionaire, and yet here I am on this podcast. I with love you. it. I love it. Um, well, we'll trade uh, horror stories at, at, at some point, but we'll we'll there spare the listeners. The thesis behind M Particle was a number of um, higher level trends converging. It was the continued shift to the cloud. It was the move to, to mobility and really mobile being the centerpiece of the customer experience. And that was, that was a non-obvious bet at the time because there was this dialogue back in 2012 where it was like, who's going to win? Is it going to be app or is it going to be web? And um, it wasn't like there's a place for both. And you know, even Facebook went all in on, on HTML5 at, at the time, and then they had to double back and then they built natively. And it was um, it was this kind of really interesting um, counterintuitive bet, but we just felt like the whole like one has to win for one to lose or one has to lose for one to win was probably going to be overdone and there was going to be a world for, for both and like somehow it, w- it would work out. And then, and then the last part was just a generational shift in terms of data literacy, right? So it went from this like, you know, mystical thing where only like two guys and like the, the back of the office who like nobody understood what they, what they did were, were focused on to like everybody's going to have to become more data centric and like decisions will ultimately be made in a far more deterministic way. And so we felt like. If those things happened and we solved the problems around um, uh, mobile data collection first, it, it would serve as a beachhead for us to be able to then create a center of mass for organizations where 
mobile was an increasingly important part of the customer experience. And then we could start to unify data from more channels. And so mobile was always like the tip of the spear. It was never like the, the end game. And while everybody else, tag managers and data management platforms and anybody else that was like orbiting around this opportunity, were still focused on web. We really carved out um, our own opportunity as this next generation data layer that wasn't tethered to pixels and cookies and, and, and tactics of the web because we felt like those things were, were going to eventually give way to more, more durable, um, structurally sound like API connected experiences. So you've talked about, I mean, the whole concept that you're talking about too is, is kind of putting a lens and an organization around data. So this idea, or not this idea, but data complexity, like it's out there, right? It's a real thing. And we know that with great customer experience comes great responsibility. I just had to say it. I had to say it. No, with yeah, great, yeah. Uh, with great, Thank you, Uncle ben. with great CX, um, you know, it involves a lot of data. And so you've talked about something that you call data chaos. Could you talk a little bit about what that is? And why it's such a big problem out there in organizations? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a it's a universal phenomenon. Um, we live in a, in a in a world where the digital ecosystem is continually changing, um, vast, right? So more data sources, including like new consumer platforms being created, which has not only increased the the the, the shape, but also the size of of data sets. So we have these devices that are always on ultimately. So they're continuously generating data and also new types of data. So more data being created, more data being consumed, and then new privacy regulation. All the changes that are kind of thrust upon everybody from Apple and, and Google around like what you can and cannot do with certain identifiers, IDFA, cookies going away, not going away. And then that creates a massive amount of change internally within organizations around now what they can do with data, um, what they can do with their campaigns and their, their dashboards and how they think about experimentation. And those things are kind of constantly in flux. So everything is, is moving. And all it takes is one change to create this like massive ripple effect. One of the things I was thinking about when you were talking is uh, more is not always more, especially when you don't know what to do with it, right? And so maybe in that vein, brands need to find a way today to streamline data across all the customer touch points. And, and, and like you said, it's it's vast, it's complicated, it's ever-changing. And I, but I think helping brands streamline that data across all, all, all consumer touch points is something that MParticle does well. Would love to hear about some of your strategies for how you accomplish that. Yeah. Well, let's let's start with like the end result. I think every company is either trying to to grow their business, to run it more efficiently, or to transform it in in some way, shape, or form. Data, customer data, more specifically, is really high leverage, right? Because it it allows you to create predictability in the results that you are attempting to to seek. And so what does that ultimately mean? How does that how does that start? It really starts with data design. And how does data design start? It's it's the um uh the synthesis of 
all of the demands from the consumers of data who are mapping what they are trying to do um, in service of those business goals, all of the constraints, restrictions, um, or other considerations that the data providers or the data producers have. And everybody has to come together and say, what do we want to accomplish? And, and so we like to go back to the question, we, we don't want people to like embrace data hoarding. We want people to be really mindful and collect as little data as possible to drive the most amount of, of impact. And it's going to be far more cost effective and it's going to create again, like the, the most bang for, for the buck. And so it, it really starts there and it's in the data design process, which I think is underpinned by like just better communication and collaboration across um, a series of functions from engineering to analytics, to marketing, to customer support, ultimately. You know, what's resonating with me as you say that one of my soapboxes is nobody buys software for software's sake. They buy it to achieve value and outcomes for their business. And what's resonating with me is you're like, okay, take that same concept and apply it to data you need to establish the outcome or the goal or the end game and then back into the data you want, how you collect it, where you collect it, what you do with it. Am I understanding what you're saying? That's, yeah, that, that is absolutely right. I mean, people will talk about like treating data as a product and that's like kind of buzzy, but that's like, that's what it's all about. It's, it's being mindful about how that ends up mapping both directly and then indirectly to business outcomes. Because without that, you just have like a bunch of these like, 26 year olds like hipster sql engineers <laughs> run, running around like talking about features and speeds and feeds and it's all like it's all nonsense so th the name of the podcast is cx confessions so michael would love to know a time uh where you learned a hard lesson or learned a lesson the hard way through your journey um uh, in your career yeah i i think the the start of of m particle um, if, if I look at the experience that we had at, at Interclick, we had like about a six or seven year run and every single quarter was up and to the right. So like mm, that's we were, fun. yeah, it, it was, it was fun, but like we were never really tested. We were in like, you know, it was a different space at a different time and like all, all that kind of stuff. And you know, like, don't get me wrong. We did there was a bunch of hard work and, 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 and we did a lot of things right. Um, but we never fell on hard times. At MParticle, it was like, we thought we were going to get V1 of the product out into market in 18 months. It ended up taking more like 21, 22 months, which doesn't seem like, you know, eight years in, nine years in, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but like, three or four months where like you also only have like four or five more months of runway and you've just like sunk the past you know almost two years of your life into this thing those are like those are scary times and a bunch of sleepless nights yeah speaking of that of being tested as a team and the things that are on your shoulders as a ceo and a and a, and a co-founder even more um specifically what advice do you have to our listeners that are aspiring founders of, of, of companies that are maybe feeling a little bit overwhelmed with 
with just getting it off the ground. And maybe you can tie that into a little bit of, yeah, there, it might not always be up and to the right and certainly not uh, in the early days, I suspect. It's probably not going to always be up and to the right. Like very, very few entrepreneurial journeys are ever like just completely up and to the right. And I think like one of the, one of the depictions that, that I really identify with is, um, is the messy middle. And I don't know if you've ever seen it. It was, I think, originally coined by Scott Belsky, who um, he's now the chief product officer at, at, at Adobe. But it shows like, yeah, there can be this like straight line up and to the right. But then there's like, there's dips and there's like a whole bunch of like ebbs and flows. And over time, eventually you kind of like break free from from that. But like as the company is growing, you will encounter naturally like new problems. And unless you've seen it all before, it can become like really scary. Uh, and, I, and I think this is part of the reason why you see a lot of like SaaS founders go back and keep doing it because a lot of it you can pattern match. MK, appreciate you sharing with that sage advice. Uh, as I mentioned uh, before we started recording, we want to get to know you as a person, as, as, a, as an individual out there in the world. So we've got what we call CX Confessions Quickfire. So we're going to pepper you with five questions um, just to get to know you a little bit better. And I will kick it off with my favorite question. What was your first concert, my friend? Ho, ho, ho. This is going to be a super impressive one. It was <laughs> Young MC and Millie Vanilli. Yeah. Don't, don't be jealous. <laughs> Do not be yes. jealous. Yeah. Oh, Hall of Fame stuff. Yeah. Hall yeah, of Fame totally. stuff. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah, we could keep going on that one quite a bit, but we're going to move on for rapid fire. What profession other than your own would you attempt if you could? What would you like to be good at or what would you like to try to be good at? Uh, I'd be like, a, I think, an animal rescuer. Wow. Pulling on the heartstrings on that one. You know, it's something I'm, I'm passionate about and large breed, small breed, whatever, just helping, helping those that don't have a voice ultimately you'd be you'd be well received in austin texas wow. my friend <laughs> well received for sure yeah. um so you live in new york you're currently coming to us from london but if you could move or you had to move somewhere other than you're currently living where would it be la no yeah? doubt Ooh. love la yeah 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 i love i love the weather got a bunch of friends there uh great great restaurants beach LA Tech. I'm I'm a huge fan of of the LA Tech scene. So yeah, I'd be I'd be in LA in a second. Cool. Okay, moving on. Again, I could go deep on that question too. There's so much opportunity here. (laughs) Um, Getting to know you more. What is your biggest indulgence? I'm like these days. I'm I'm pretty boring. Like I have a I have a six year old son who I love spending time with, and um, but like if I don't get to work out regularly. I become kind of cranky and agitated. So I'd say that that's probably the the biggest indulgence. Like I need that hour of alone time in in the gym. Yep. Same. My my partner, she will tell me. My partner will tell me. She'll go, yeah, you need to go work out. Get get out of here. Go go work out. Exactly. My husband, the same. He's like, how many days has it been since you've done yoga? Okay, I can tell. Would you go, please? (laughs) And then one of my other favorites, what was your first job? So like your first job, like maybe in high school, just earning a couple of bucks, but then like your first job out of of college. 
I worked at like a local fruit stand, um, like stocking fruit Fair. on the shelves. Fair. Love it. Love it. I stocked uh, inventory at a drugstore. So there you go. Yeah. You yeah. Know, the things you do. A couple of stockers. Good times. <laughs> yeah, good times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good times. For a couple of, this is turning a couple of stalker yeah, shows. Yeah. <laughs> well, Michael, thanks again so much for spending some time with us. Thank you for the sage advice. Thank you for sharing your journey. Thank you for letting us look a little bit into who you are as a person. Really appreciate you being here. I would love to talk to you and catch up with you at some point again. But uh, again, thanks for being here. I know our listeners appreciate it. All day, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Loved it. Thank you, Michael. Stacey, that was great. Man, Michael knows some things. Some things. Like lots and lots of things. Is there anything in particular that stood out for you? Yeah, there were a couple, a couple few things. Again, the, the going into the episode, I knew, I thought he was going to be about outcomes and using data to achieve outcomes again. I love that concept. It's so mm-hmm. near and dear to my heart. So that was cool. And I love that he supported that and focused all around that. Some other things that he said that just resonated with me that I think, you know, I'll even take into my both personal and professional lives. A couple things. He talked about being anti-fragile, mm-hmm. which I can imagine as being a founder you've got to just be anti-fragile, right? Can you imagine how hard it is to start something from nothing? It's your baby, yeah. And then he also talked about this phrase that I've heard before. In fact, I think you may you may be the one who knows where it came from. And that is when you're going through hell, just keep going. Hmm. Mr. Winston, Winston Churchill, I believe, I presume. But yes, always a great concept because there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows, right? Exactly. Such a good thing. Such a good thing. And of course, he even talked about sleepless nights, which we've all had. Mm-hmm. It's good to know that, that the path is not always up and to the right. And and mm-hmm. and we need to remember that it's not a linear path. It's not a nice curve, right? Like stuff gets thrown at you and you deal with it, especially if you're a founder of a company. Absolutely. And I, I love, he, he also talks about a counterintuitive bet that they made too. And I love that and appreciate that because especially in industries like ours, it is so easy to go with the flow and copy what other people are doing and not really yes. think for yourself. I talked to my team about thought leadership and thought leadership, you have to have a point that people can argue for and against. And that is the true, for me, that's the true meaning of thought leadership. Thought leadership is going like, oh, here's what everyone's thinking. And so I'm just going to put it out there. It's maybe this is counterintuitive to how you think about this business but maybe we can build on it because I think that's where great ideas come from. Ooh, that's such a good point. I love the concept of thought leadership being something to discuss, not just accept. That's nice. Absolutely. And, and, and speaking of not just accepting and discussing, he talks about making big bets. And I, I love that he was authentic in everything mm-hmm. he said, but also authentic in like, you know, anybody who thinks that they make a big bet and, and, and they're, and they're going to get it right can't, can't have all that data, but at some point, you need to either make the big bet or try to play both sides. I, I, I love that he was authentic and genuine about his journey on that path. Absolutely. I'll definitely be listening to this one a few times for sure to pick up more of those nuggets. Spike, I believe, can I say it out loud? This is the last time I get to do this with you. Say it ain't so. Say it ain't, it so, ain't so. I am heartbroken. Well, you know, it's been a fun ride and I, I've really appreciated our great guests. And I know there'll be many, many more, um, just like Michael today. So my friends, thanks for tuning in to CX Confessions once again. My name is Spike Jones. And I'm Stacy Satterwhite. We'll see you next time.
Now more than ever, your customers expect to be understood on a personal level. Their likes, their dislikes, their history with your brand, and their communication preferences. But so many companies struggle to connect the dots of interaction across their own teams and channels, which can lead to customer experience challenges and disasters. That's where Koros can help. The award-winning customer engagement platform was built to turn those siloed interactions with your customers into enterprise value. Koros works with more than 2,000 of the world's leading brands, powering more than 500 million digital interactions every single day. Learn more at Koros.com. Thanks for listening to CX Confessions, brought to you by Koros. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app and give us a rating. See you next time.